This is the Capness HR Podcast, and we want you to be great every day. Join us as we transform the human resources outsourcing industry while we talk to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startup, and HR spaces. Now, please welcome your host, Jason Capness. Hello, and welcome to Capness HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Capness. Our guest today is Samantha Hartley. Samantha, are you ready to be great today? I am. Samantha Hartley of Enlightened Marketing works with overwhelmed women consultants who are too busy to grow, spending too much of the time with clients or engagements that are too small and under-earning relative to their value. She helps them double and sometimes quintuple their businesses without exhaustion by attracting perfect clients and making 100000 plus offers. As a result, they become more profitable, joyful business owners. Before starting this business, Samantha worked in international marketing for the Coca-Cola Company in Russia and, and its Atlanta headquarters. She lives on Martha's Vineyard with her husband, their cat, and two big dogs. Samantha, thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So you've had a kind of background, Russia, Atlanta, Coca-Cola, your own business. What do you, what do you yeah. focus on right now? I'm focused on honing in on working with women consultants. Um, I've worked with a variety of small business owners and I've worked with, you know, some larger businesses. And I just find that, you know, 18 years into my business, what I really, really want to do is help consultants specifically because I don't want to work with those big companies. I don't want to work with anybody larger than $10 million. And so I, I affect change in organizations that size and larger through my clients who, work, who do work with those. So Samantha, so this is a kind of a two-part question. So first part is, you decide to only work with women consultants and go even farther, only women who do HR, finance, and wellness, I believe. Can you talk about the process, how you like niche down so far down? Yeah, I mean, I've, I have always encouraged people to be um, ever more specific. And you know, one of the examples I used, I had a client who did, um, he was a guy, I worked with him several years ago, but he worked with uh, HR in hospitals to develop leaders. And I always felt like it was the easiest referral to give. If I ever worked, if I ever ran into anyone in my networking who was a hospital administrator or CEO, and I did have people who were in my network who did that because I was a part of the leadership of my um, town that I lived in then. And so when you're in leadership or you're on the, in, in the chamber and places like that, I, I always thought it's the easiest referral to give. People, issues, HR, hospitals, like duh. And I had always done consultants, some of them to be B2C, and some of them were also actual service businesses or offline. You know, it just, it felt like it got too, too amorphous. And so I really started to do um, experts and consultants. And then like, you know, ever, within the last few months, I've just said, I really want to work with specifically consultants. And, you know, I can work with anyone. I'm finding I like, I enjoy more working now with women consultants than I ever did before, or with women business owners than I ever did before. I think I'm at a point in my career where that's who I want to lift up. I think when women rise, everyone rises. Uh, and it's not that you know, there are men are any less. I do see a lot of arguments about this on LinkedIn. Anytime they talk about, you know, uh, we need to get more women CEOs, and then the men will chime in and say, it should be, it should not be gender specific. It should be about the best person for the job. And I feel like, yeah, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to argue that. And huh, what if we, uh, what if we got more women CEOs? And uh, we got to the point where nobody noticed gender, or nobody noticed race or diversity it didn't have to be an initiative. So we're not close to that. So, Samantha, how, how do you go about qualifying your, your customers? I mean, for example, a female comes in, 
their uh, HR consultant and all the, like, what makes you disqualify them? What do you make you say, you know what, you, you fit my criteria, but I, I don't think this is a good fit if we work together. Well, brand new. I don't work with anybody who's brand new. They need to be in, a, in business for at least one year, have had at least three clients and have made at least 100K. So the reason I don't work with smaller than that is because I don't, if you've been only been in business for one year, there are, or if you're brand new, I, I don't even know if you're going to be able to make it as a business consultant. Like you really need to have kind of scrambled through the first year to know if self-employment is for you. And um, there's a ton of just, um, you know, it's, it's, it's business 101 and kind of mindset 101. And that's great. But this is the thing I teach my clients. You really need to work if there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you need to work with the people who are are the highest that you can work with. And so I find, you know, I'm working with clients who are, you know, doing between one and 2 million and I'm helping them get to the next level. That is a very different level of work than people who are brand new. It's not to say that this is nobler or better or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, are college students better than kindergartners? No, they're not inherently better, but they are working on things at a different level. And this is really the best application of my skills. And again, what I teach my clients is you need to work at the highest possible level. So if you look around and you feel like, I could be doing more advanced work with more advanced people, that's who your people are. So I will disqualify anyone in, that, in those categories. The other thing is if they've only had one client, then really what they've had is a job. So I do have people who come to me who've been like, I have a, I'm a, a contractor and I've been working with this one client for all this time and I'd like to get more clients. I'm like, go get more clients and then come back and talk to me. Because again, that, that kind of skill of getting more clients, you know, I have tons and tons of free training I can offer them. It's not that I'm, I'm saying, get out there and good luck. I have tons of stuff I can give them. But for me to work one-on-one with someone, they, they have to fit those other uh, qualifications. And then I would just say, you know, people need to be positive. They need to have a blend of they want to, they need to be able to look at their business in both kind of like marketing and business and concrete terms and also feel that their business is a spiritual path or a calling that this is they're following a mission to do this work and they couldn't it's not an option for them they couldn't go and do something else so when somebody says there isn't a day job they couldn't offer me something that would get me away from this work that's a good client for me so Samantha you know there's a lot of people out there doing what you do. Suppose someone's out there, they want to work with a consultant. What advice do you have for that person to pick the right consultant for them? Um, you know, I think it's really important that you have shared values and that that person is holding, can hold a vision for you that is larger than what you can hold for yourself, that they are as dedicated to your success as you are, but they can't be more dedicated because that's really about us like taking responsibility for our success. Um, so, for example, I had a woman come to me recently and, you know, I talk a lot about high ticket offers and I don't mean 25K, I, t- I mean like 100K and 250K offers, like putting together engagements at that much higher level uh, and doing more deep and more transformational work. And she said that her coach was saying to her, he was a good business coach, but he was saying things like, I can't imagine anybody paying $50,000 for something that you do. And, uh, you know, it just really doesn't seem like... Oh, I don't know. I just don't understand this kind of work. And he had come from a different industry and he just didn't have insights into, into basically consulting and into selling services. I think he'd come from software or something. So he didn't have insights into selling services at that high level. And I feel like if you're, if the person that you're looking to work with can't look higher than you can see, then they're not a fit for you. And I had this experience myself with one of my coaches, I guess one coach back that I was working with in a group. I said, I'm really trying to price this um, this VIP day, what do you think I should charge? So it's a one day, someone comes in and works with me uh, and we do this deep intensive dive. 
And I was kind of, you know, I, I was kind of tossing around the idea of 12,000 for that day. And I, but I hadn't told him that. And I said, well, what do you, what do you think if you, if you were just a kind of gut reaction, what do you think for a VIP day? And he said, $5,000. And I was like, so it's, you know, it's not about things being expensive or not expensive. It's about, I need people to see the level that I work on. By the way, that, that particular VIP day, that client left by adding $400,000 before we left the meeting together. She had added $400,000 to her business. She's a women, woman consultant who has done nearly a million. So she had a lot of, you know, the more you're making, the more you have room to, you know, you can kind of add a big amount of money. Um, and that's what we did for her. So I felt like 12,000 wasn't a bad investment to, to have a $400,000 return. No, that's a nice, nice return right there. Seth, are, are you only local to area or are you nationwide? I work nationwide. I have, I actually, it's kind of uh, funny. A few years ago, we moved to an island and we're um, on Martha's Vineyard. And I, uh, and I thought it's a, you know, it's basically a hospitality, you know, it's like any tourist town. It's, um, you know, like Vegas or, or Hot Springs in Arkansas, where I had come from, uh, I'd been in Arkansas before. And so it's, this, it's not my industry. Like there aren't consultants here necessarily that I know of. And so, but I actually did end up um, having a local client, but everyone else, my whole team is virtual. I have nine, nine core team members that I work with and then about five outside of that. And then all of my clients are all across the country. I don't think we're international anymore. I've had uh, clients all over the world, but most of them are in New York, New Jersey, Chicago. I think that's about, that's about where we are. Pennsylvania. How could I leave them out? Samantha. So, um, how do customers find you? Do you have a marketing plan you use or is it word of mouth? How do, how do you go about bringing in, bringing in new customers? I create a lot of content and then I put that content out there. And um, so that content is on Facebook. It's on LinkedIn. When I, you know, one of the things that I teach and one of the things that I did when I was in a local market, I just described my local market here isn't super conducive to me just going out and networking. But when I lived in Atlanta and when I lived in, um, I lived in a town called Conway, Arkansas, which is, I'm, I'm from Arkansas. So I lived there for, uh, you know, before we moved here, we lived there uh, for about 10 years. If I needed clients, I would go to a networking event. You know, I would go to a chamber meeting. I would just leave the house and basically go somewhere um, and I would find clients. And I think a lot of us are returning to that because a lot of online marketing isn't working as well. But if you know how to articulate what you do so that if somebody says, hey, what do you do? You can say an answer to that and be able to go, wow, that's interesting. Tell me more. Once you've got that piece down, you should go and be everywhere and run into people. Just uh, there's nothing more powerful than that one-on-one -on -one in person connection. So since I don't have, that isn't super easy for me because to go to to go to see people in person, I kind of have to travel. I tend to do LinkedIn, Facebook. I have an email newsletter. I have a website. Um, and I do a lot of direct outreach, which means that I will write a note to someone that I've met on Facebook or LinkedIn and say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you. And that has created referrals for me. And also, I get clients that way. So, uh, Samantha, has you ever had a, have a situation where you work on the client and you thought to yourself, you know what, this person really is a listen to me or I'm not adding value. I need to break off this relationship. Has that ever had to happen to you? Yep. Fire a client. Absolutely. Yeah. No, if people are not, if, if people are not coachable, I had a client who would, would not show up for meetings. I would have to sit around. You know, I just, I don't know what the deal was, but that was kind of, that seemed okay. And it was kind of the way he ran his business. I, I began to realize, and I was just like, well, this isn't going to work. Bye. So in that, in that situation, you can say, this isn't working. Uh, and 
I'm not the person to help you. I do think you need help, but I'm not that person. So I think we should stop working. And then we did. Samantha, for your virtual team, your remote teams, can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of that? Because it's not right now, remote teams are just a hot thing in business. And I do a remote team, you know. But can you talk some about, you know, the good and bad about having a remote team? I, I think it's everything good. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the sunroom of my home and it's not an easy, uh, the, the vineyard is not an easy place to get to. It takes a boat or a plane to get here because there's no bridges. So it's not super feasible to actually have people come and work with me in my office. And I really, you know, I think it's, I mentioned face-to-face and in-person is very fun and powerful, but I, I love having a virtual team. Here's what I was just telling someone the other day. When I was, when I managed, I had like a team of 30 when I worked at Coke in Russia and I was much younger and I was not a very sophisticated in my use of, let's say, leadership or power. And so um, I would be like, you know, kind of more, you know, telling people what to do and I don't know, maybe more threatening of like, do this or else and, you know, ways that I would never manage someone. And, you know, if someone doesn't want to be uh, the, I think the belief is, well, people are stuck working here for this paycheck. They have to tolerate whatever I say and do. And, you know, now it's many years later. I think the, uh, I notice and I talk to a lot of people who want to hire someone full time. And the idea is that then that person would be committed to me and dedicated to me and they wouldn't just take off. And that's a, a, a fictional belief. Like that is not the case at all. Like you can have people, I'm sure you've seen this article recently that, that people don't uh, officially quit their jobs anymore. They just stop showing up and avoid the confrontation and just leave. And my, my virtual team has been working with me for many years. And I'll tell you what I think is the key to success. I mean, the downside of a virtual team is I can't just uh, access them at any second that I want to. But they're very responsive and I hire for responsiveness. So you can, I message them through our project management software. I can email them. And if I really need someone, I can call or text someone. But I can, you know, it's so rare, maybe once every three months that we actually have to text or call someone because there's a question that's sometimes it's just easier to answer on the phone. But the beauty of this is I hire for a specific specialty. So if I have nine people, that means a person is doing project management and only project management. She doesn't go into the CRM and um, send emails. My person who does do emails, it does emails and she does um, billing, like all of the Stripe and all of those kind of things. Then I have somebody who does social media and she also designs images for social media, like uses Canva, makes things pretty like PowerPoint and things like that. So that's her gift. I have a writer. She writes. She does a little bit of marketing planning as well, but this is someone who writes for us, ghostwriting for me and for my clients. And then like, et cetera, I could go, obviously tech people. So I could go on and on, but I really like for people to work on the thing that they're like, if I could do nothing all day long, but this, this is what I would love to do. So I ask them that when I hire them and then I give them that to do. And if there are new jobs, I'll, you know, tasks that need to be done. I will ask my team, do any of you want to do this? Would that be fun and exciting? And I will also check in with them from time to time. Is there anything that you're doing that you don't want to be doing that I could maybe give to somebody else who would prefer to do that and I can give you something else instead? I want people to be in what I call their joy and genius zone. So joy means they're having fun all the time and their genius zone means I'm so good at this. It's like almost not work. And that's what I want consultants to do. So if you're in your joy and genius zone, you're always profitable, right? You're always making tons and tons of money because you're doing the work that you love to be doing. Samantha, so I think there's some people out there who say, you know what? Remote teams can't work because, you know, you can't build a great culture, a great team. What would your response be to that? Oh, my gosh. We have a great culture. You can, I mean, I know a lot of people use Slack. I don't use Slack, but you can bring 
create a lot of great and positive energy through Slack. And one of my colleagues does that. Um, and we have uh, everyone on Basecamp. I can bring them together on a Zoom call like this where we can all see each other and, you know, and feel connected to each other. But they're connected to the mission um, of my business. And they have other clients too. Uh, all of my team has other clients that they're working with. And I feel like if they're working with other companies that they feel excited about, I hope that they feel super excited about mine and that they're always giving their best work. And beyond that, you know, I only need so much culture. I want them to feel like this is a, a thing that I want to be associated with and I want to be a part of. And, and they're being paid. Um, I hire most people through Upwork. So they tell on Upwork, this is my rate. This is how much I want to be paid. And we give bonuses and raises and Christmas gifts and all kinds of stuff like that. So I, I want people to feel good, but I will post, you know, for the whole group, I'll ask for input on marketing planning, or I'll ask for input about um, something that's going on with the client. How would you grow this business? And so I, what I hear from them is they feel excited to be working uh, for a business that has my mission. Samantha, moving on next, can you talk about a time you were su- successful in the past, what you learned from your success and what we can learn? Yeah, I think one, you know, one thing that comes to mind is there were a couple of times, there were two times. And so it's a, it's the same thing that happened in two different situations. I was in a taxi one time in Russia. I shared a taxi with another American who was there and, and we got to talking and that turned into one of my first jobs in Russia. And so, and then flash forward, I was working for the local Coke representation there in Moscow. And the chief marketing officer does this big tour, world tour with his entourage and things like that. And I got in a situation where I ended up having a lot of one-on-one time with the chief marketing officer. And that got me um, a call to come to Atlanta. So I got promoted to move to the Atlanta headquarters. In both cases, what happened for me is I was calm. I didn't, you know, I was myself. I was authentic. Um, and I, the thing that I would encourage is you know, they always say that luck is preparation plus timing. It, was, it would be very easy for me to say, I don't know how it happened. I just ended up here and I just ended up there. And I think what really happened is I'm very comfortable in those situations. Like I don't have, I don't get starstruck or like, ooh, here's a big boss. Um, and when people ask me, even back then when I was in my 20s, if people ask me like, what do you, how could you help or what could you do for us or, you know, say something, I can come up with, in those moments, I think astute comments. And the, so what I would share with, with others is, I think it's important to always be prepared for your moment. Like you never know when you're going to get, end up in the elevator with the, you know, oh my God, that's a guy I've been trying to get a hold of all this time. Or you might get a chance, uh, you might do an outreach email on LinkedIn and the person might say yes. And then you get into a conversation like this. So I have been in conversations where I can tell that this is a big deal for the person who's talking to me and, and they've done some preparation and some work for it. I've also been in conversations where I can tell they're, they're so intimidated, they can't make the most of this moment. So I don't know, I don't have advice for not being intimidated, but I do think that what we can do in those moments is think about what that person wants. I was, I was also once at a very big, very important dinner with literally the CEO of the Coca-Cola company, because when you're in Russia, everybody comes over there. I'm sitting next to him. So we're, we're people who got sat at the boss's table and there's a few moments where they try to engage him. He's, he, by the way, is an ISTJ. So he's incredibly, incredibly shy, but he's also the boss. So he comes across as very intimidating. So the whole table is like this for a minute. And then they start to talk amongst themselves, which is probably the answer to his dreams because he didn't want to small talk with anybody. But 
I feel bad for that person in that situation. So instead of thinking, oh my God, it's the boss. What if I say something wrong? I think, oh, I feel bad for him. So this is the time to think about the other person that you're going to meet with and like, how can I add value to that person? So I'm sitting in the taxi with an American in Russia who doesn't speak Russian, I can, I can be helpful to him. So I, and I did, I, you know, he was having some trouble with work and I went in and helped him with that stuff. And that ended up led to a job or, you know, the chief marketing officer who was there, by the way, we had, we were doing a market tour and I was able to show, answer questions for him and show him what he needed in on location there. Uh, and I would talk to him when nobody else would, cause everyone else was too shy. And then at the dinner, that CEO was probably thinking, what am I going to say to each every one of these people? Like, how, how am I going to talk to like, all 20 people? He's probably going through his brain. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think he was like, please get me out of here. How soon can this thing be over? So follow-up question. Talk about the time that you failed, what you learned from this failure, and what we can learn from this. I would probably use the example of, of a program. I created a program. I set the whole thing out. You know, we did a bunch of uh, elaborate stuff, and then we did the launch of it. And, you know, no one bought it. So many people have that experience. So many people have got that kind of a, a story to tell. And, you know, my easy version of that is to, to sell it before you buy it, which means before you create the whole entire thing and you go through all of the process of, of building out the thing, you have to sell it first. So this actually applies to services. People are coming to me and they're like, I want to I grow my, um, my consulting business right now. We're doing this, but I want to kind of move into this. I'm like, go sell that. But how do I sell it? I'm like, go describe it to some people until they say, oh, we want that. And then we can scramble and we can create the thing on the fly. And then you're being paid to create it. So I find that people do way too much custom work. Consultants do way too much custom work for their clients. They're like, well, they called me in and they wanted to do this. You want to be doing that for, do you feel like there's a market for that for other people? Or do you feel like it's just this one client needs this? Do you want to be in this business? Do you want to be doing this all the time? So all of us have had the experience of have, like having a thing that we're excited about, but nobody else wants. I think that's the, and I've had that with services. I've had that with products and programs and e-learning and courses and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, ooh, this is what everybody needs, but it's not what they want and it's not what they end up buying. So First, you know, we call it validating. It would be the official term. First, try to sell it to someone. And when they say, I would buy that, I would say, have them say, and here's some money towards that. Like, I am buying that. And then you, um, you can figure out how to build it. Samantha, I understand you have a book to recommend. I always have books to recommend. And um, the one I'm reading right now that I'm super excited about is by James Clear. And it's called Atomic Habits. I almost never read marketing books and I almost always read neuroscience and brain science and behavioral economics and um, have especially habits book. I super love habits books. So you were talking earlier about marketing planning. I do often do a plan, kind of have an idea of what I want to do for the year. But what I turn that into for myself and for my clients is habits. Like what are we going to do every, every month, every week, every day? And those are the things that we focus on. So in Atomic Habits, it's atomic because they're small, like atoms. So I really love that idea. And also you have this wonderful pun of like atomic. And so it's little things you can do that make a really big difference in your life. Samantha, also understand you have something else for our listeners. I do. So a lot of people ask me, how do you sell in? I'm really stuck selling low ticket things. How do I sell in something that's much, much larger? So I have a case study of a client that I worked with who couldn't get anybody to buy her $22,000 training. And she finally sold that same offer in for almost $200,000. So this is a case study about how we did that. It's called the 9X 
yes formula. So you can just go to that domain. It's Samantha, can you give us your social media link so people can reach out to you? You sure can. Um, uh, on, I'm on um, LinkedIn, Samantha Hartley. So you can just search for me there. I'm not sure if there are any other ones there, but Samantha Hartley of Enlightened Marketing, there's only one of those. And then you're welcome to friend me on, on Facebook. And then I have a free group on Facebook for consultants called Profitable Joyful Consulting, because that's what I'm all about. Profitable Joyful Consulting. And you can just ask to join us. And that's the place where I'm giving free advice. I'm doing free webinars and trainings and answering questions and things like that. And to our listeners, we have the links to our social media links, her book recommendations and resources on the show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com. Samantha, we'll come to the end of a talk. Can you provide us any last minute wisdom or advice on any subject you want to talk about? I would say, remember that everything that you're doing can be joyful. So when you're in a situation and you feel like it's joyful, but not profitable or profitable, but not joyful, never, never compromise. Remember, it can be both. And I want you to set that as a goal for yourself to make sure that all the work you're doing is both profitable and joyful. Samantha, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy person doing great things. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate getting um, to share with you, you and your audience. To listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Kavnis HR. For more exclusive content, as well as your free copy of HR Laws, be sure to visit KavnisHR.com or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at Kavnis HR. Thanks again, and be great every day.